Tonight in our final lesson, I want to speak about a subject that many of us need. If you've never caught yourself biting your nails or doing some other nervous habit, you may not need this lesson. If you have never spent a sleepless night tossing and turning with trouble on your mind, you may not need this lesson. If you've never sat with furrowed brow with the weight of the world on your shoulder, you may not need this lesson. If you've never had that feeling, that gnawing feeling down in the pit of your stomach, you may not need this lesson. If you've never walked the floor or even the neighborhood in desperation, you may not need this lesson. But for most of us, worry is a real problem. Not a theoretical problem. It's a very real problem. I need this lesson. Do you? Worry can affect every facet of our lives. It affects our bodies. It affects our mental health. It affects our families. It affects our play. It even, it especially affects our walk with God. I want you to turn in your Bible with me this evening to Matthew chapter 6. During the course of this lesson, we will be referencing several statements from verses 25 through 34. And what I, I want you to put your ribbon there. And what I want you to realize at the outset of this lesson is that right in the middle of the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, the master devoted a lengthy section of that sermon to the problem of worry. Oh, folks, how we need to listen to what the master has to say about worry. This evening, I'm going to share four points and two questions with you. Now, you may be thinking this moment, boy, he's going to preach all night. I have a response for that. Don't worry about it, okay? <laughs> Point number one tonight, there is a need for this lesson. You know, the master would not have devoted so much of his sermon to the subject unless it is needed. There is a universal need for this lesson because worry is a universal problem. As you meet people from day to day, notice their furrowed brow, notice their set jaw, notice their anxious stares, notice the nervous pace as they pass by you. Haven't you heard people talk about their sleepless nights, their near nervous breakdowns and their ulcerated stomachs? Half of the hospital beds in this country tonight are filled with patients who have mental and emotional problems. Who worries? Almost everyone. Young people worry because they have pimples. That is because they're afraid that they might not be accepted by their peers. Old people worry about becoming helpless not having the resources to care for themselves in their declining years. The uneducated worry because they do not have the skills to get a better job and they don't know 
how to go about getting it. The educated worry because they know too many things, many things that cause them to worry. The poor worry because they don't have enough and they don't know how they're going to get by. The rich worry because they have so much and they're afraid someone might take it away from them. If we are not worrying about the past, we are worrying about the future. If we are not worrying about the future, we are worrying about the past. And so we turn on our televisions to escape worry, and the evening news gives us an anxiety attack. Wouldn't you just like one time for the evening news to come on and the, the anchor to look at you through that tube and smile and say, hasn't it been a wonderful day? Not going to happen. Worry has been called America's greatest disease. A disease. I wonder if the master wouldn't have called it something else. Sin. And so what I want you to do, first of all this evening, with the ribbon of your Bible now, in Matthew chapter 6, I want you just to move your eyes across verses 25 to 34 as I make this observation. It is there. The master taught it. Inspiration put it there. There is a need for this lesson. Point number two tonight, worry is so useless. And folks, that's one of the greatest reasons in the world for not doing it. It's just useless. Look in verse 27 of our text. What did the master ask? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Like to be 18 inches taller? Can you worry yourself into being 18 inches taller? Now that would really help, wouldn't it? And when you stayed awake all night, tossing and turning... It brought a solution to the problem, right? No, it didn't. You got up too tired to go to work. You looked and you felt terrible. But the problem was gone, right? Nope. The problem was still there. Plus, you had a worry hangover from the night before. One of the best reasons in the world not to worry is because it is... So useless. You know, if worry helped solve problems, the experts would be telling us to do it. Can you imagine going to the doctor's office with an illness? And the doctor said, what I want to do is to prescribe worry. I want you to go home and I want you to spend four 30-minute se sessions a day worrying and then I want to see you in two weeks to see how much you have improved. Have you ever gone to a lawyer about to be sued and the lawyer said, now, what you need to do is worry about it and the judge will throw it out of court? No, that didn't happen. Have you ever gone to the preacher with some problem and the preacher said, brother, you've been neglecting worry. You need to go home, get down on your knees, and worry. No. Have you ever heard a teacher say, listen, we're going to have the big test tomorrow. 
and you need to go home and worry all night so you can pass that test. It seems like everyone knows that worry doesn't solve problems. It only intensifies the problems we already have, and it creates additional problems. Well, if it does not help to worry, then why do we spend so much of our time and so much effort in worrying? Good question. Worry is useless. Point number three tonight. Two things we should never worry about. First of all, folks, we should never worry about the things we can do nothing about. Will worrying about being too short make you 18 inches taller? That was the master's question in verse 27. We kind of smile at that, and yet many of the things that we worry about fall into the same category. Let's just suppose, totally fictitious of course, that there was a severe drought in this area. (laughs) And you worry about the weather. What good would that do? Would it change the weather? If you can't do anything about it, then what's the point of worrying about it? We have to learn to accept things as they are and make the best of them, not worry about them. Don't worry about the things you can do nothing about. And don't worry about the things you can do something about. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 10, the wise man said, Whatever your hands find to do, do with your might. Notice he did not say, Whatever your hand finds to do, worry about it. If there's something you can do about a problem or a situation, then do it. Use your energy constructively. Now we've been praying for rain for weeks and It comes a big rain and we discover that there's a leak in our roof. Now we have two options. We can worry about the leak in our roof or we can fix the roof. The sad thing is that a lot of times we know the solution to the problem or the situation. But we substitute worry for work and anxiety for action. Big mistake. Two things we shouldn't worry about. The things we can do nothing about and the things we can do something about. And you're thinking, preacher, that's everything. Right. We shouldn't worry about anything. Point number four. Worry will destroy your body and your mind. The medical profession has come to the unanimous conclusion that worry is more harmful to our bodies than just about anything. It is not what you eat that gives you ulcers. It is what is eating you. 
stomach problems, heart problems, respiratory problems, high blood pressure, sleep deprivation, health problem after health problem after health problem has attributed to, been attributed to, and irritated by the effects of worry upon our bodies. You've heard the expression, she worried herself sick. Happens every day. Our bodies break down under the strain and the stress of worry. Don't worry yourself to death. But worry does not just affect our bodies. Worry also affects our emotional and mental health. Our mental hospitals, our psychiatric wards are full of patients who attest to the fact that worry can destroy. We are talking about people who are hurting We are talking about lives that are crippled. We are talking about institutions that are full. Worry really does a number on us, folks. It wrecks our nerves. It robs us of happiness and peace of mind. It hinders our relationships. It clouds our judgment. It darkens our outlook on life. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 6. We should not be surprised when the master three times says, do not worry. Now I'm citing here the new King James. You may have the King James that says, take no thought. Or perhaps another translation that says, do not be anxious. But we're talking about worry. Notice if you would in verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at verse 31. Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Look at verse 34. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own thing. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Three times he says it. Do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. And may I remind you that those are not the words of some guru or some mental health expert. Those are the words. That's the command of the master. I want you to focus in with me for a few moments on verse 25. Your translation may be worded just a little different, but I want you to do this anyway. I want you to take your finger, follow along as best you can, and I want you to move from word to word with me. Put your finger there In verse 25, put it under the word do. Do not worry about your life. Now put your finger on the word do again. This time I want you to say it with me out loud. Are you ready? 
Do not worry about your life. Very good. Let's do it again. Do not worry about your life. Okay, we're going to do it one more time. Only this time, you're going to put your name in front of do. I'm going to say my name out loud. You're going to say your name out loud. When I point, well, we'll start. Are you ready? Here we go. Dwight, do not worry about your life. Those are the words of the master. Worry will destroy your body. And it will destroy your mind. Okay. Two questions tonight. What do we worry about? What do we worry about? Well, first of all, have you noticed... How much of our worry is time-related? We're slave to the clocks. Oh, no, no, preacher, I'm not a slave to the clock. If you don't think you're a slave to the clock, just forget to wear your wrist watch one day or take that clock off the wall that you're always looking at. You'll look at your wrist 50 times. Yes, we are. Clocks tell us when to get up. Clocks tell us when to eat breakfast. Clocks tell us when to go to work. Clocks tell us when to eat lunch. Clocks tell us when work is over. Clocks tell us when to play. Clocks tell us when to go to bed. And clocks even tell us when to go to worship. Guess what? When we can't meet the assigned schedule, we worry. Now, worry really isn't about clocks. When we are pressured by the demands that are made upon our lives, we worry. Here's our problem, folks. We live three-tenths lives. The first tense is past tense. Now, yesterday was the right time. But yesterday is gone. But we find ourselves worrying about what we should have done. And worrying about what we did that we shouldn't have done. And so it's yesterday, yesterday, yesterday. That's past tense. The second tense is future tense. Tomorrow will be the right time, but tomorrow has not come. But we find ourselves worrying about what might happen tomorrow and worrying about what we're going to need to do tomorrow. And so it's tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Now the third tense is present tense. Today. And that's where we're supposed to be living, right? That's where we're supposed to be living. The Bible says today is the day of salvation, 2 Corinthians 6, 2. But don't you see we have a problem living today? 
Because we have today all burdened down with the worries of yesterday and the worries of tomorrow that we can't live today. Folks, if we are going to overcome worry, we're going to have to learn to live in the present tense. And isn't that what the Master said? Look in Matthew chapter 6, the last statement in verse 34 of this part of the sermon. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own thing. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We are trying to carry yesterday's load and tomorrow's load and today's load all at the same time and it's too heavy. Yesterday's dead, bury it. You remember what Paul said, Philippians 3 and 13? Forgetting those things which are behind. Tomorrow's unborn. You can't live where you aren't. You can't live in America and Africa at the same time. If you're in America, you're not in Africa. If you're in Africa, you're not in America. You can't live where you are. Remember the words of Solomon? Do not boast about tomorrow, for you know not what a day will bring forth. Proverbs 27, verse 1. Yesterday's dead. Tomorrow is unborn. I have today to live for God. Look at verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Have you ever thought about the fact that you can't do that yesterday? You can't do that tomorrow. But you can seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness today. What do we worry about? Well, in addition to things time-related, we worry about things that never Turn, turn, keep your ribbon at Matthew 6, but, but turn to Mark chapter 16. I think a good Bible illustration of the point we're going to make. Remember the good ladies who were on their way to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body? What were they worried about? Mark chapter 16 verse 3 said, They said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? Verse 4 says it was very large. Now, can't you just imagine the combination, a conversation? These ladies are walking, good ladies, going to do a good thing, but as they're walking along, they're saying, wait a minute now. That's a great big rock over that grave. How are we going get to get inside? Who's going to move that rock for us? What happened? Verse 4 says, but when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. There wasn't any need for them to worry about it. The problem had already been taken care of. All the energy had been wasted. God had already solved the problem. And isn't that the way it is so many times? We worry about things that never happen. 
What do we worry about? We worry about things that are none of our business. They're God's business. Matthew chapter 22, verses 23 through 30, the Sadducees, they're the liberals of the day. They didn't believe the resurrection. They came to Jesus with a hypothetical. Here's a woman that marries a man, the man dies, and we throw in the Leverite uh, law here, and so she marries the brother, and the brother dies, and she marries another brother, and he dies, and make a long story short, she marries seven brothers, and they all die, and then she died, and they said, okay, whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection? Now, let's just suppose, for the sake of discussion, that the Sadducees were sincere. They weren't, but suppose they were. Wasn't any of their business. What goes on in reference to eternity is God's business, isn't it? That's God's business. We don't have to know all the answers. Just the one who has all the answers. And we were worried about all of life's what ifs. God is. Let me now introduce to you in this great sermon what I think is the key statement of the whole section. In verse 32, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Do we have all the answers? No. Does God? Uh Uh-huh. What do we need to do? Well, Brother Peter tells us. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. That's what we need to do. Now, I hope you've enjoyed the introduction to the lesson tonight. Because now we get to the meat of it. The second question and the last question is, how do I stop worrying and start living? Now, I'm going to lay some heavy stuff on you here. So hang in there with me, okay? If I want to stop worrying and start living, then number one, I must develop my faith in God. See, I'm going to have to admit something. My worry problem, my worry problem is my faith problem. Verse 30. Now if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus is talking about worry, and he associates it with little faith. I think Elizabeth Cheney just hit the nail right on the head in a, in a charming way when she wrote this. Said the robin to the sparrow, I would really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. 
said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that that it must be that they don't have a heavenly father such as cares for you and me. I think it's interesting that Miss Cheney used the illustration of those birds in reference to worry because when you look at verse 26, Jesus said, look at the birds in the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Turn over to Luke chapter 12. Let's read some more about those birds. In Luke chapter 12, in verses 6 and 7, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more valuable value than many sparrows. Frail father that I am, my children never had to worry about having something to eat or something to wear. Pam and I provided for them because we cared for them. And though our relationship to our four children is now somewhat different, they're grown and on their own, we still care for them. Here's what I'm saying. Tighten your seatbelt. Is not worry an insult to the fatherhood of God? What did verse 32 say? For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And by the way, that's exactly the point that the Master makes later in this very sermon. You pick up in chapter 7, verse 7, where it says, Ask, seek, knock. You'll receive, you'll find, it'll be open to you. Verse 9 says, What man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Is not our worry... An insult to the fatherhood of God. If God is our father, we don't have anything to worry about, do we? Do we? When my children were growing up, we had a system. Their job was to wear it out, and our job was to replace it. Our son Jason, bless his heart, from the time he was 10 years old until he was 17 years old, his age and his shoe size was the same. Finally, when he got 17 years old, his foot stopped growing. He's in a 17 shoe. Now, that almost make a fellow worry. You ever bought a pair of boots for, in a size 17? Takes a whole cow. <laughs> but at least he can water ski without skis. But their job was to wear it out. Our job was to replace it. Isn't that the way it is with God? Isn't it our job to take the blessings he gives us and use them in his service, and then God will replenish the blessings, won't he? Didn't he say in chapter 6 that our attitude and our approach in prayer is, give us this day 
our daily bread. How do I develop my faith in God? Preacher, you said that what happened to me here? Okay. I hit the button. You said that I have to develop my faith to stop worrying. How, how do I develop my faith? Two ways. First of all, I can look at nature and see the care of God. Right there in the text, Jesus said, look at the birds of the air, verse 26. And he said, verse 28, consider the lilies of the field. And in verse 30, he said, God so clothed the grass of the field. I can look at nature and see that God provides, and he's going to provide for me. Secondly, I can take God at his word, and he's given his promise. Look at Matthew 6.33. You've heard it quoted all of your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He's talking about our needs in life. That's how I develop my faith in God and not worry. How do I stop worrying and start living? Number two, this is a tough one. I must be content with the necessities of life. You know, we have less to worry about than any generation in the history of mankind. We have less to worry about than people in all the other parts of the world, but we're a bunch of worry warts. We worry about our transportation being too slow when we're on our way to a vacation. There's something wrong with that picture. We worry about our meager wages when the annual income in the world is $70 a year. God forgive me when I whine. We worry about the temperature in the church building when we're sitting in padded pews and we got air conditioned air. If you'll allow me to vent just a moment. When someone comes up to me and says, Preacher, if we don't adjust that thermostat, I'm going to quit this church. I am so impressed with their spirituality. They've already quit. They're dead. The problem is they've been dead so long they're beginning to stink up the place. That was free. I was just passing over. I thought I'd drop that bomb. <laughs> we worry about being sick. When we got the best doctors and the best nurses and the best hospitals and the best medicines and the best treatment in all of the world, and folks, we got more than that. We got God. The prayer of faith will save the sick, James 5 and verse 15. We're supposed to trust God for our necessities, right? But we're not content with necessities. I'll confess it, will you? I'm working on it. I've asked God to help me and forgive me. We're not content with necessities. When was the last time you actually worried about having enough to eat, to drink, or to wear? And even if you did, in verse 25, Jesus said, isn't the life more than these? No, we're not worried about the necessities of life. We're worried about having bigger houses and finer cars and luxurious vacation. Whatever happened to give us this day our daily bread? Our tendency to worry is tied to our materialism. 
I don't like the sounds of this, but covetous people are idolaters. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. And by the way, there in that sermon, in verse 32, Jesus said, For after all these things the Gentiles seek. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that most of our worries will dissipate when we learn contentment. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, having food and raiment be there with content. Godliness with contentment is great gain, verses 6 and 8. Philippians 4 and 11, I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Did you know that it was in that context that Paul said in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Folks, we got to learn to be content with the necessities of life. Number three, if you want to stop worrying and start living, you have to learn to accept yourself for who you are. We do a lot of worrying because we're comparing ourselves with other folks. But everybody's different. According to the parable in Matthew 25, we have different talents. Some five, some two, some one. But the message was that God wants you to use the talents that you do have. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 6, Paul said we have gifts differing, but the point is you ought to use the gift that God has given you to glorify him. Why should I worry about being someone else when God has made me and when God has made you a uniquely you? Live your life to the glory of God. And I want to challenge you tonight just to stop and to take stock. Do you realize that there are millions, and that's not an exaggeration, there are billions of people in this world right now who would change places with you in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. Why do you worry about what you look like? I guess I could worry about the fact that I weigh too much and I'm constantly fighting the battle of the bulls. But actually, I'm not too heavy. I'm too short. I'm supposed to be nine foot six. <laughs> Person goes and looks in the mirror and they worry about what they look like. Look in that mirror again. Are you blind? Are you deaf? Are you unable to speak? Are you paralyzed? Are you terribly deformed? Are you bedridden? Don't worry, be happy. Why do we worry about what we don't have? How many of you had something to eat today? How many of you have sufficient clothing today to cover your nakedness and protect you from the elements? Sometimes a lady will be at church and I'll compliment her on a dress and say, Oh, this old thing? Well, that's been in my closet ten years. Well, aren't you blessed? I'm serious. You got enough clothes you haven't had to wear that dress for ten years? You got more dresses than Imelda Marcos got shoes, you know. But I'm serious. You think about it. Isn't it a blessing? 
that you have that? How can you worry when God's with you? Don't forget who's in the boat. That's the mistake the disciples made, wasn't it? They get on the Sea of Galilee and the storm would come up and they get so anxious, they forgot Jesus was in the boat. And that's the mistake that we repeat. If we have God with us, we don't have to worry about stuff, do we? I believe we began this service tonight with these words. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And you look in our text, and you look back at that 32nd verse again, and it says, for your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. Number four, if you want to stop worrying and be happy, you got to learn to live one day at a time. You got to look up and not back. God doesn't want us to look back. Whoever puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Luke 9 and verse 62. Preacher, what am I going to do with my past? Seek God's forgiveness. Accept God's forgiveness. Learn from your past. Close the gate behind you and move on. What about the future? You've heard the quote, haven't you? We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. God's going to protect you. There's not going to be anything in your future that God can't handle, isn't that right? And God's going to provide for you. Turn to Psalm 37 very quickly. I know we're we're getting late. But this is the last night, so bear with me just a moment. In Psalm chapter 37, in verses 25 and 26, David said, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. He is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. And folks, even if he doesn't bless us, We ought to be of the attitude of Job. In Job 13, 15, Job said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. If we believe that we are his children, if we believe that God is our loving father, if we believe that he loves us, if we believe that he is in control, we have nothing to worry about. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord. To them that are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. Look at the last two verses of Romans 8. He says, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nothing. You believe God cares for you? Then what are you supposed to do with those distracting cares? Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Well, we're going to wrap it up. Before I close... I want to offer just two or three observations very quickly. They're they're kind of tough, but they're needed. Here's the first observation. Worry is questioning God's desire and or ability to help us solve our problems and to meet our needs. Let that sink in. 
Here, here's another one. Worry is a perversion of our God-given capacity to think and to reason. The master here was trying to help people reason things out. In verse 26, he said, now you look at those birds. Are you not more valuable than they? In verse 28, he says, consider the lilies. So why do you worry about clothing? Use that gray matter to think right. One more time. Worry is a poor substitute for God. It'll strangle the life out of you. It'll do it physically. It'll do it emotionally. It'll do it relationally. And it will do it spiritually. If you've ever had a tendency to worry you're going to understand what I'm about to describe. It feels like someone takes a big hand and just choking the life out of you. Isn't that right? Did you know that the old English word from which we get worry, wiregen, literally means to clutch by the throat? That's what worry does. Now, we wrap it up. I'll tell you tonight, this lesson's for me. I hope you got some benefit from it too. But sometimes we just need to be reminded. Sometimes I need to be reminded. I have a heavenly father. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. And here's the bottom line. If God is your heavenly father, you don't have to worry. Folks, I can understand why people who do not have God in their lives worry. They have reason to worry. I'd worry too. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But why do the people of God worry? Why do I worry? Why do you worry? What do we need to do? We need to do three things. Number one, we need to become children of God. Galatians 3, 26 and 27, Paul said, We're all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. By faith and baptism, we become children of God. Isn't that interesting? Because in the Great Commission, Mark 16, verse 16, those are the very conditions of salvation that the Lord gave. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. When I believe and I'm baptized, I am saved by the blood of Christ, and he adds me to his body, to the church, to his family. I become his child. Number one, I need to become his child. Number two, I need to serve him faithfully. And number three, I need to trust him to meet my needs. And by the way, folks, all that's right there in Matthew chapter 6. Become his child. Serve him faithfully. Trust him to meet your needs. 
Put your hand in his hand. I want to close tonight with the words of Thomas Dorsey's beautiful song. Please listen to it closely. It's familiar, but fight through that and listen to these words. When my way groweth dear, precious Lord, linger near. When my life is almost gone, hear my cry, hear my call. Hold my hand lest I fall. Take my hand, precious Lord. Lead me home. When I was a boy growing up and would often stay with my grandparents in the Rocky Mountain community of Macon County, my grandparents lived and several hundred yards behind them, my great-grandparents lived. There was a narrow gravel road that went from my grandparents to my great-grandparents. Ray knows where I'm talking about. About middle ways across there, there was a very, very narrow place, and there used to be honeysuckle just grow all up on both sides. Sometimes at night, my great-grandparents would need something, and Granny would send me over to take it to them. I'm just a boy. I'm here to tell you that walking in the darkness of the night over to that other house and walking through that narrow place on that road, that was my valley of the shadow of death. One night I was taking something over to Mammy and Pappy and one of our cows had gotten out and she was standing in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death. And I walked up on her and I don't know who was scared more, me or her. But I didn't walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I've thought about it since. There are a lot of times I made that trip with my dad. Just a little boy. And we'd get to that dark, damp place where the honeysuckle was so high. Where I thought all the spooks were. I'd reach up and I'd take that big old hand. And the fear dissipated. Do you need to take his hand tonight? Won't you?